0: To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. The Lord deserts all all the proud of heart, Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Through the love and faithfulness sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes their enemies to make peace with them. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with justice. In their hearts, humans plan their course but the Lord establishes their steps. The word of the Lord.
1: God, thank you for that reading, Michaela. The kids are invited to Kids Church with Kelly today. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. To put in a somewhat different way from the psalm we read this morning, search me and know me, O God, that we are in this spot of sort of. Um, finding ourselves as ones who have been brought into God, which I think is one of the things we can lose from the book of Proverbs, as we'll talk about today. I think there's this way, I should say, I guess as I drop that, uh, there's a way that the Proverbs, unfortunately, I think, as I was thinking about it this week, can become the seven uh, habits of highly effective people divorced from the rest of Scripture. That we can begin to think like, oh, these are the ways in which we make life prosper. Um, rather than being brought into who God is. And I should say that that today's sermon, uh, this is our 13th sermon in the book of Proverbs, which when I say that, it sounds like a lot. Um, But also, uh, I've I've been trying to say that this is a bit of a bonus track, if you remember CDs from the 90s. Um, I can't remember, I think it was Beck that had one that was 18 tracks further, plus 18 minutes of silence, for a not great bonus track, sometimes they were good, but that one was not not particularly great, although the album was one of his better ones but but so and this will probably be like back's eighteen minutes plus whatever i 'm not trying to to denigrate anybody 's creative efforts, um, but I would say that this uh Uh, This sermon sort of aims to sit on its own within, within the context of the series, but kind of on the side as we sort of consider what's there today for us in the bulk of what makes up the book of Proverbs, which is a weird thing to say we haven't gotten to. So this is the map we've been using from the Bible Project, and as I've been trying to point out, 10 through 29 are these short sayings that are not guarantees, they are not um, promises, but they are sort of describing the ways in which the world functions as God designed it to function. So in that world, it's, it's the hard workers who gain, and it's the lazy who fail, and yet many of us can think of exceptions to that. Or it's the generous who receive back, um, and those who lived close-fistedly are unable to sort of enjoy life. Again, we can think of exceptions to that. But this isn't some sort of saying that, like, you know, if you're going to live out in, in this, this art of skilled living, is sort of what we've been saying wisdom is aiming for. It's going to come out of um, trusting in these tried and trued, true grooves that God has made for us. Early in the sermon series, I talked about heuristic devices that help us sort of um, uh, become, act in the world. And so one of the things that the people who study wise people today found is that wise people don't try to look at all the material and develop what to do. But instead, they use um, short sayings like Proverbs, many of them probably Proverbs, to help them negotiate the world without having to look at all the material. And one of the questions that I think came to me as I was was working through that bulk of the book of Proverbs that is these short sayings, uh, we'll go through how they're structured in a a second, is it's hard to name how we perceive the world. I think most of us think it's just natural and default, that it just sort of comes to us and this, that, and the other. But there is so much material in the world that most of it we ignore, Um, and Here's an example of this. Uh, Perhaps some Sundays you drive home from church, and you arrive at home, and you think, I don't remember any of the drive between here and there. That we have a hard time. We don't actually take in all of the world is what I'm saying. We, We take in the specifics that we need to take into, and then we cut off so much more. And so when we get to the book of Proverbs, we're using distilled wisdom from the community of Israel that that helps us to sort of not have to take in the whole world, but to be able to function morally, ethically, righteously towards wisdom within it, to sort of gain the art of skilled wisdom, to live skillfully in this organizing of reality that emerges out of this book. And so here's, here's the organization of the book, not on a map that's way too small for us from the Bible Project, as I typed it out. One through nine are those lectures between the father and the son. Sometimes it says um, uh, father and mother, and sometimes it says child. So um, there's those comprehensive lectures that sort of—and uh, most of them are about, as we've talked about, sort of— um, Avoiding uh, other types of characters, the two types of characters that most likely are to avoid are sort of a gang of young men, ruffians, and then forbidden woman, adulterous woman, those sort of stand-ins, as to pursue something else, the path of wisdom. First off, one of the things that that always makes me think of, particularly as we, um, many of the people in the church have young children or older children perhaps, or even ourselves as older people, is that we... Our ethical lives are formed often by those we surround ourselves with. One of the most terrifying things I read when I was researching kids' anthropology was like uh, uh, part of what I want to say at some point in today's sermon is, "We know so little." So hear me speaking about somebody who read two articles and said, "Wow, that's complex and then quit." Um, uh, but was that, you know, kids learn how to act at home from being at home. And kids learn how to act in the world from their peers. And I was thinking, so all the instruction we do at home will be beneficial for them as they live in homes, but their moral lived lives in the world will primarily be influenced by their friends. So now I have a resume that you have to submit if you want to be friends with my children. Luckily, I'm not that neurotic or controlling, but you could see how, if you really got into this, you'd be begin, begin to wonder, what is going on in all these spaces and places and times? The wisdom of Proverbs 1 through 9 is to say, the people you fall in love with, the people you hang out with, will either pull you up towards wisdom or take you away. And in, in, in 1 through 9, that, that showed up in um, uh, an allegorical frame, uh, these other characters aren't—the woman, adulterous woman, isn't just, you know, avoid adultery, as we tried to talk about, but the ways in which our hearts are captive to idolatry and other patterns that pull us away from the path that God has called us on. Um, so those were Lectures 1 through 9, um, which we, we went over all of them. That was Chapters 1 through 9, sorry. It's a, about eight lectures in there. And then the short part on—or the longer part on uh, Proverbs, uh, Lady Wisdom in 8— that goes all the way to 31. We tried to connect last week, the last one. The next is the Proverbs of Solomon, uh, 10, 20 through 16. Um, That's this larger bulk that I think we're going to sit in today for the most part. Uh, 22, 17 through 24, 22, the sayings of the wise. I, I bring this out to say that we think Okay, my experience of the book of Proverbs, if you said to me that from 10 to 31 are all short sayings, I would not know these distinctions. So what I'm trying to do is share with you something I <laughs> know or think about, which is why we're going over this, is it's not just one list nonstop, but they're set within different frames, which raises different questions for us, um, not based on their usefulness, they're all holy scripture, but that they merge from different places and times. Um, I think sometimes the, the base assumption of the book of Proverbs, to some extent for me, was Solomon sat down and wrote all these out, and so take that for what it's worth, one guy sitting down and writing out two-word sayings on how to act in the world, when in fact that these appear to be more like common distilled wisdom. They're, they're much greater than just one person sitting out, but the, the, uh, the frame of reference that a people gained over time. Solomon might have been the one who distilled 10 through 20 to 16, um, but, but it seems more like it's naming a school of thought of wisdom in the world, on how wisdom comes. And as, I, as I'm saying this, one of the early things I tried to connect Proverbs 2 was creation, which I think very clearly shows up in lady wisdom, and also in Proverbs 31. The ordinary is where holiness happens in this way in which we live relational lives in this space. The Proverbs 31 woman is sort of the peak that. Um, one of the reasons why I think Proverbs is so neglected, again, in my own history, maybe you have different histories with it, is because it doesn't contain the mighty acts of God. Um, it's not about Moses and his rescue of, of the people with God from Egypt. It's not about... Um, spiraling human interest stories. I think we get with David and Ruth and Judges, and there was no king in the land, and disorder ruled uh, conquest in Joshua. It doesn't fit those sort of patterns, and then, of course, it doesn't contain any of the New Testament goodness that, that God rose Jesus from the dead, and that's what frees us from the sins, uh, power of sin and death. Like It doesn't contain any of that, and so it fits a weird segment in the Bible, but what I tried to say is it's, it fits not salvation— history, which is one of the three strands, um, and not entirely the eschatological history, this last times that God is going to redeem all things history, but it flows from creative history. And and an argument that I didn't make but, but alluded to was that I think Proverbs might be better for us to go to to talk about what it means to live ethically in creation more than Genesis 1 through 3. Um, to see in which what God has really designed in creation is perhaps more ordered in Proverbs, um, in the wisdom literature, than it is in just these creation stories, which tends to fit more redemptive history. It's about how we got in this mess, so that the rest of Genesis can be about how God is rescuing us from this mess, if that makes sense. Um, so, anyways, then the, the sayings of the wise, then other Proverbs of Solomon that the office of King Hezekiah of Judah copied. Um, the first instance of plagiarism, if you read that very literally, Um, the words of King Arger, and then the words of King Lemuel. And these are sort of the ways in which the book of Proverbs, these short stains are actually structured. Um, This is the way in which I've been, we just talked about, in which they sort of uh, work in our ordinariness. I'm pronouncing this word in my head over and over again before I say it out loud. Nobody's going to help me either. (laughs) Quotidian. Uh, I got it right every Sunday, except for today I was stuttering over. Quotidian, the ordinary basic ways in which we live our lives in human relation, which is to say that holiness in the book of Proverbs and in much of the Bible isn't played out in other realms or other spaces, but in your ordinary day-to-day life. We often hope for our quiet times or our times at church or for something like this to be times of heightened holiness. But but Proverbs says, in ordering your relationships with your neighbor, in ordering your relationships with your partner, your classroom, your coworkers, um, the people you live next to, your little bit of land God has entrusted you with, you are actually functioning towards human flourishing and shalom. And this is where Proverbs sort of functions for us, to live in that way. In the quotidian... Nature of our lives. The proverbs show up in in parallelism often. Um, there's a one line and then another line that parallels the first line. Um, I meant to have a slide for this, but I didn't. There's parallelism also that's opposite parallelism. So. Uh, Where one thing is good, and then the other thing is bad. Sometimes the bad thing is first, and then the good thing follows. So it's not two descriptions of the same thing. It's opposite description of the first thing. There are ones which are better than Proverbs, um, such as better than this. Um, that's another structure that these proverbs often take. And then there are imagery sort of based ones. We talked about last week about acrostic based ones that go by the letters of the Hebrew alphabet too. There are several different ways in which these short proverbs function. But I wanted to share today, again, for the last time, this Ellen Davies quote about how we live with these proverbs. For the proverbs are like little poems, each about the length of a haiku or a Zen koan. Like these Asian literary forms, the biblical proverbs are highly concentrated and sometimes riddling reflections on common elements of human experience. Read straight through, they are tedious and they run together in the mind for there is no plot, no consistency of development of a logical argument or a moral theme. But it is quite different thing when one encounters them as they are meant to be heard and not in the first instance read. Proverbs are meant to be pondered one at a time. Medieval monks spoke of chewing the words of Scripture like grains of spice until they lead their full savor. This is how the proverb should be learned. Memorize a single saying. You can do it while taking a shower, waiting at the bus stop, or chopping the vegetables for dinner. Let it sit in what the ancient Egyptian sages, teachers, writers, and collections of wise and called the casket of your belly for a day or a week or more returning to examine it from different vantage points of varied experience if you give the book of proverbs that kind of time then it will yield to you its wisdom you will begin to sense the particular peculiar force with which the passages address the hearer who positions herself to listen well This is to say that to just sit and to throw out a proverb for a sermon or for something else like that, unless it's lived with, doesn't work well. I should say that in my experience not having the greatest memory for the book of Proverbs, which I've been working on improving with this sermon series, the one that strikes out to me is a shorter one from the New Testament that's like a proverb, which is the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And if you take that into yourself um, and go to an amusement park, and watch people jockey for lines, or a ski day where somebody else cuts in front of another person, or look at the way people treat people in the hierarchy of sort of jobs in the world. Um, The last shall be first and the first shall be last, if you bring into your daily experience, begins to expand meaning all around you. So much so that when we argue whether you should zipper a merge on the highway, or whether you should just stay in your lane and block people out, first shall be last and the last shall be first, can inject meaning into all of those places. Um, this is what Ellen Davies is arguing for here with the Proverbs, and I think it's true of most of scripture as well. This is one that, that stuck with me when I started the series. It comes from Proverbs twenty-seven, nineteen. outside of uh, the, the original Solomon ones. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. So in in one sense, um, this proverb read quickly is like uh, Disney movie It uh, and first time watching a Disney movie. We just rewatched Lion King with Paul, which one, I do not recommend with three-year-old. And two, is way deeper than you remember from when you were, uh, I don't remember, uh, eighth grade. Um, As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. You can think about this in many different ways, but my point is, is if you begin to bring this into your life, it's going to stretch much deeper than your first reaction, which is water reflects my face, so my outward life reflects my heart, um, which is true. Um, and that meaning of that should actually um, make us think often about what do we think of the reflection of our faces, and then what do we f- Think of the reflection of our hearts out into the world and our lives. But I think the longer we sit with this, so water reflects the face. What does does, uh, muddy water reflect on the face? What does wave, trying to see your face reflected in waves, does not work well? Like, so water reflects the face requires some time to see our faces, to look at their reflections to take those things in. And not only that, I think in some ways, if we're talking about how we want our lives to reflect our hearts, if, if water is reflecting us, what would we weed out? What would we live into? I hate looking in mirrors. I don't know why, but Kelly will often say, oh, there's a mark on your face. Your hair doesn't look okay. Uh, you're bleeding. I got myself shaving and I didn't look in the mirror long enough to to check Um, uh, I remember when Rosie was little we were in the hot springs and a kid doing a backflip randomly in the hot springs uh, headbutted me in the face and so I just walked with Rosie to where we meet and there Kelly said there's like blood streaming out of your face Um, which again Kelly is the great reflector of my face I don't trust water as much Um, but again to think about this for a second is to say who is the reflector of your face Uh, these proverbs, I think, if you just wanted to sit a long time with them, would bring up a lot to think about. So one's life reflects the heart. My heart, I'm generous and kind and wonderful and forgiving, and I live in generous spirit towards those I disagree with. But if you look at my life, this is 60% 60% accurate, um, that, that we don't think about how our hearts, and again, in, in, the new, in Proverbs, the Hebrew word for heart is the center of the will. It's our minds. It's, it's what's being expressed out in the world. So my goals are expressed in my life. Are they? Or is my life reflecting what I actually think I idealistically live up to in my heart? Am I expanding what I see as true and good and beautiful inside myself, out into the world in my life? Or am I pissed because somebody cut me off in traffic? Um, We have an opportunity to magnify that which was within us with our lives from our hearts, to reflect them as water reflects our faces, or we have a chance to sort of undermine them. And, and what's great about this, and I think um, this sermon has many tracks. I don't know which one I'm going to take, but I'm going to quit at some point because it's one of those Sundays. Um, the, well, I'm living between Galatians and Proverbs. So we start Galatians next Sunday with um, our fall kickoff. And I challenge you, read Proverbs and read Galatians and see how your mind does. Um, not very similar at all. Um, yeah. Go for it. (laughs) Um, But I think what's what's interesting about this is, so we use this proverb as you think about it, and I think in a lot of ways, it becomes an application to other people. They talk this way, but they don't walk the walk. Which is so great because the proverb says it, it wants us to think about our faces too. I mean, if that disposition is one, and I'm sure we all know somebody who, who this disposition shows up for everybody else in the world except for themselves. Everybody else fails to live up for their values, but they never reflect back to say, how is that being magnified, reflected out of myself? What I want to say is, is that, that I don't think... Um, Anybody at the church here today is one of those people who always is that one person. But I do think for us to, to expand what I think most of us want to be the generous disposition of ourselves in kindness and in love of other, um, in embrace, in speaking a word of peace. And if one of the goals I talk about here of being that non-anxious presence, is that something that lives inside of me? And if it's something that lives inside of me, is it something that would be evident from my life? See, that I think is the real challenge with the proverb like this, is it asks us, what is it that lives in that heart? And then how is that being reflected in the world? So what um, Michaela read for us today is great on human deception, which I want to get to. That might be the second half of the sermon because I'll avoid the other paths I have to take. although I have to do one of them to, to bring in the other scripture reading. Words is one of the big contents of the book of Proverbs. Words make reality in the book of Proverbs. Words, how we speak to one another, is one of the ways in which um, things become manifest in the world in the book of Proverbs. And so a lot of the Proverbs have to do with guarding words. Uh, let's see what the... From a wise heart comes wise speech. The words of the wise are persuasive. Being a wise person... In our inner disposition comes, uh, from that comes wise speech in the world. This goes back to, I think, what I was trying to say at the beginning in some sense uh, about my studying how kids develop for an hour and then becoming an expert on it, is a lot of this for the modern world will be knowing our limits. We speak as wise people because we have, I think there's an old story, which I'm sure is worse today, but the amount of information in a Sunday New York Times, which like if you've never seen one, which is possible today, you can go to Starbucks today and see one. They're like $7. Um, but this next line of the story will make it more interesting, contains more information than the average person would have confronted in all of their lives in 1850. Um, So that makes that $6 not seem so bad now, does it? Um, It's like a dictionary of things that you would have never had access to. Um, And so we, because we have so many of these tugging at us, that we begin to think that we can speak wisely about things we know nothing about. And not only that, I think one of the things that's becoming clearer in our modern instance in this late modern world in our country is we can build our own bubbles of news that reiterate to us what we think is right. Now, I have um, two people who have spoken to me about um, some Christian woman's newsletter that gives you both sides of the story and then helps you make up your own mind. Um, And I also think perhaps uh, it's a lot to think we're wise enough to be confronted with both sides of the story and pick the right path. On, I think this, this newsletter at least comes Monday through Friday. It's like, you think you're going to be right 80% of the time? Like, uh, may, I, again, this is why I love that, that, that the, the psalm that Park read today, uh, that Proverbs portion that Michaela read today, is we deceive ourselves too much. Um, Uh, Jeremy will appreciate this, I went to Kanye West last week, uh, and one of the choruses on one of his songs is, I'll be honest, we're all liars, which is a proverb you could think about for a long time. I'll be honest, we're all liars. Um, Rap music has a lot of proverbs in it, one of my favorites is More Money, More Problems, um, which is like distilled wisdom to excellence there. I mean, you, you can use that one a lot in life. Uh, I'll be honest, we're all liars. Rosie came into our room. She's been listening to it. Um, Don't judge me. (laughs) She learns how to act at home, at home. She learns how to act in the world from her peers. Um, (laughs) She says, she comes, and Kelly didn't know where this came from. She's not listened to the music as much as I have. But she said, hey, mom, has everybody told a lie who's ever existed? Um, And me in my interior Calvinist disposition is like, oh, yeah. And it's much worse than that, Rosie. Um, uh, We're not even aware of all the times we are lying. Um, uh, To say that, like, (laughs) connecting this to the point is that we, again, you think you're going to be right most of the time when you're discerning things you know nothing about. This is where I think wise people often speak less. I know one of the instances in my life perhaps while I'll never actually be confused as a wise person, is because I talk too much. Now, I think talking less is cheating to some extent because, you know, if you really just open your mouth when you're right, you're like, you're not risking anything, come on. Um, And if you never talk, people just assume you're wise because it's like, oh, so-and-so chimed in on that discussion. We should stop for a second and think about that. This is my own insecurity showing going back to my latent Calvinism where we're all liars um, is that uh, we, we overestimate what we have ability to speak about. And we speak about it in unforgiving tones, um, almost in ultimatums oftenly. They're not, they're not uh, conversational points. I told the story about my, my friend who was here who just wanted to debate every single cause at the moment a couple weeks ago. But one of the things that became clear to me talking to him was that like, he could never repeat what I said in a way that sounded like I actually said it. Um, he would say, I would say something, and he'd be like, oh, that's great because this and this and this. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't say that. You took what I said, blew it out of context, magnified it by a thousand, and made it the worst version of whatever argument I was making. I bring that up because I think we, myself, when I always say we, I normally include I, me, myself, primarily only me, have a tendency of doing that in our conversations as well. He was a friend. I was trying to phrase things back to him kindly. I'm his friend. It wasn't working that way. But I could tell you there are probably people I have conversations with where I play the opposite role. And so it's hard for us to have limits to our words. What uh, Brian read from Ephesians, which I love about not being blown about anymore, speaks so much to Proverbs too. But what the point uh, the reason why I brought it out was because to speak to each other in love. The Christian community is one that should speak to each other in love, speak truthfully in love. Uh, Stanley Harris, I think, was the one who said that, that we're commanded to speak to each other uh, truthfully in love, which we take to mean not to speak to each other at all, um, because we can't picture that. And one of the things I want to bring up, I think I have a proverb for this, a rebuke impresses a discerning person more than a hundred lashes a fool. The wise person in Proverbs actually contains that they might be wrong. They can receive instruction. They can be corrected on their path. It's the fool that doesn't know what to do with that. When I think of wise, competent people in the world, minus learning this, I would think of people who rarely have to be instructed to go the right way. They already know. But what Proverbs says is that people who are wise and discerning can receive the instructive word. And again, there's two parts of this one. Can you, uh, because there's a human temptation to be like, I'm one who can give instructive words when I read this. You're like, okay, so we're supposed to speak to each other in love and give instructive words. I've got a list of them I'm going to give someone after church today. Um, One, if it starts with a list, probably not a good idea, Um, but two is, are our hearts those which can receive instructive words? It's not easy for me, I can be honest about that, to receive them, and again, this is where I might be confused for being wise, because I rarely try to give them. Uh, This is the opposite of the other one. I I don't try to speak directly to what you should do. I want to sit and ponder with you, Uh, but, but... to to receive those things, and so I think to prayerfully consider, what are the um, who who might you invite into your life to give instructive words to you, and who, as you think of that person, are they ones mature enough to receive instructive words as well? Um, that's worth pondering around this words thing. Uh, gossip, I don't want to spend a lot of time on, uh, but the, let's see, there's, through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. Whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Gossip uh, destroys cities. I love that way of thinking about this. Gossip is this way of destroying the world. The reason why I wanted to do this one is because I have a cute rabbinical saying to go with it, so you could never skip it. Um, uh, a rabbi uh, man comes to his rabbi and confesses, this is not a joke, um, <laughs> just to be clear. Uh, I just When I start anything with a rabbi joke, I, it's normally with my Jewish friends, and it is a joke. A man comes to his rabbi and says, I need to confess that I've been a gossip. Uh, and the rabbi says to him, okay, go and get a chicken um, for me. And pluck all of its feathers on the way back. And so the man runs out, gets a chicken, and he plucks the feathers the whole way back, getting it completely bare. And he brings it to the rabbi. And the rabbi looks at the chicken and says, this is good. There are no feathers left on this chicken. For your penance, go back and collect the feathers which is to say that gossip, as we tear down each other with words, as we say—I've um, I've used this story before. The psychologist who led my seminary, he he said that when we were talking about other people with like what they should do, and we were all like nodding our heads and thinking very correctly, he would raise the question of, well, why don't we call them? I mean, if we've all discerned properly how they should live in the world, wouldn't it be bad for us to keep this knowledge to ourselves? Um, shouldn't we call them and, and offer this to them? And what he meant is— have some modesty on one end. Um, You don't know all of the issues that go into one person's disposition and character in particular situations. And on the other, if you really think that you know the answers to what's struggling and striking one of your neighbors, friends, coworkers, children, who are you to withhold that? But gossip goes out as feathers being plucked from this chicken and spreads throughout the village. It goes into other places. It builds a falsified version of community. It builds a fake. And so a whole city can be destroyed because of false speech. Stability, um, uh, no, no one can be established through wickedness, but righteousness cannot be uprooted. To have stability in our lives, um, uh, Gracie Olmstead, uh, do, you, do you get her a newsletter that one she just wrote, I'll put it in the weekly email. She wrote a newsletter about if we live very mobile lives, but perhaps we should live as perennials as we move between cities and places that which comes back every year at least and leaving it more improved than the other. Stability is one that I think I struggle with a lot, but somebody defined it. I was, I was reading, and upward mobility tends to make stability hard. We want to be someplace else, we want to keep moving throughout the world. Monks highly value stability on the inside and the outside, to be established and be full ourselves. Um, but one of the, the ways it was defined this week is that God is not elsewhere. Being stable of ourselves in our place means living that God is not elsewhere. God is not elsewhere in some new book, some new fad, some new thing that's coming out, some new um, prayer life journal, some other thing. God is not elsewhere. We do not need to chase that. I feel like God's calling me to greater and better things in a different city, in a different place. God is not elsewhere. This isn't to say that we shouldn't have in this modern world times where we need to move and uproot our lives and this, that, and the other. But to say that using God as the crux for doing so is rebelling against this stability. God is not elsewhere in the world. Proverbs 16, one through nine was supposed to be the bulk of today's sermon, but I have failed at that. What is it I want to say from this? Um, To humans belong the plans of the heart but from the tongue of the lord comes the proper answer of the, or but from the lord comes the proper answer of the tongue all a person's ways seem pure to them but motives are weighed by the lord commit yourself to the lord whatever you do and he will establish your plan the lord works out everything to its proper end even the wicked for a day of disaster the lord detests all the proud of heart be sure of this they will not go on punishment. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. When the Lord takes pleasure in any one ways, he causes their enemies to make peace with them. Better a little righteousness than much gain with injustice. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. This portion of Proverbs, I think, one I said, it helps us escape that, that seven habits of highly effective people, turning them in the ways just to succeed in the world, but that God is the course of them. This is the most theological portion of Proverbs. It makes up the center of the book, chapter 16. It also makes up the center of this first collection of, of Solomon's teachings. Um, and what I think it does is it shows us how we can be deceptive of ourselves in living the Proverbs life. We make plans, but the Lord comes the proper answer. Person ways seem pure to them, but their motives are weighed by the Lord. True perception eludes us, and their only source is in God. There's this way in which I think what Proverbs 16 is holding for us is that, um, I hate using supermodern analogies, but the, that, that God's constancy towards creation is more like electrical current in lights. Um, God's relationship to creation is always humming, keeping it going. Too often we think that there's um, God's stuff and there's other stuff, there's this and that, and yet it's all sort of being hummed by God. Or even that we come to God, this is the deistic portion of of moralistic therapeutic deism, um, which I'll probably define in the Galatians series if you're new here. Um, But this idea of that like we come to God when we need something, but God is there all the time. God is active in this. The human heart plans their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. That God is near to us. Um, and that we will fail at efforts to try and justify ourselves, I think is another Sure, for many of you, the, the, the phrase that stood out, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned. For the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Let's end with that one, actually. That'll be the end of today's sermon. Uh, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned. For the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. On the plus end, love and faithfulness in Proverbs is, actually seems to be care for the needy. Um, actual sort of this. And what I want to say is that there's, there's this way in which love and faithfulness atoning In the Hebrew imagination, it's matching what happens in the temple and the sacrifices. And so what it's saying is that the disposition of you enacting those faithfulness at the temple, in its sacrifices, is mirrored by a disposition as you live it in the world. So we um, offer these things up to God and the temple, and then we live lives that correspond to that reality. This is Christianity, faith without works is dead, or true religion is care of the widow and orphan. It's this idea of that we honor God, we lift God up, we move towards God, and so too we, we move out in sort of love and faithfulness to others. Um, and that, I think, is, is this mirroring that, that sort of covers or atones here. To the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. That'll be our last thought on the book of Proverbs. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Why not? For the love of the Lord is the root of all wisdom. I think what we find is is that love can be deceptive to ourselves. We can justify our love to the Lord in a way that makes us easy to make wisdom what we want. But fear creates a disposition within us, a deference. This way of saying that perhaps there is something greater, more beyond, that knows my inner hearts, my inner heart and thoughts and ways. It's a quote on the book of uh, the back of the bulletin from Dietrich Bonhoeffer when he was preaching on this passage. But... um, I'd prefer to end with uh, the opening to the Book of Confessions by St. Augustine. Great are you, Lord, and highly to be praised. Great is your power, and wisdom is beyond measure. And human beings who want to praise you, they are just a portion of your creation who carry around their mortality, who carry around evidence of their sin and evidence that you resist the proud. And yet, human beings this portion of your creation, want to praise you. You rouse them to take delight in praising you. This, God rouses us to wisdom. God rouses us to taking delight in God. For he has made us for himself. He, for you were made, you made us for yourself. And our hearts is restless until it comes to rest in you. Let us pray. God, you have gifted us the book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, the book that instructs us in lectures from a parent to a child, but a book that also instructs us in short sayings and ways of being wise with this creation you have made and sustained that we find ourselves a part of. May we find ourselves drawn into praising you from this. Proverbs will help heal the restlessness of our lives and days but we will remain restless until we rest in you. Give you thanks for your love, your wisdom, the way you instruct us to the good, the true, and the beautiful. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen.